May that have been your prayer. O Lord, your servant listens. May the Holy Spirit be upon each and every one of us today that the word of God that has been read and that word that is proclaimed through the work of the Holy Spirit as well may speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, and become part of who we are as we live in response to the Lord himself. Amen. You know, I, I wonder as the gospel lesson was read and then as I walked up here and you're thinking, you know, about the title that was on the screen up there about, you know, return home and, but particularly the gospel reading and the miracle that was up there. I wonder if you thought to yourself, here we go again. More of those miracles of Jesus. I wonder if you thought that because after years of hearing and reading about the miracles, we can begin to almost have them become immune to affecting us or at least recognizing how they are meant to speak to us. But this chapter of Luke records here three different miracles. Now, our reading today presents to us just one, but I want to give you a little bit on each of those miracles that are there. The first miracle is the one that was read for us. It is that of the man who was demon-possessed and how Jesus cast out of him, cured him of those demons and made him well, set him free. We then have that familiar miracle of Jarius and his daughter. She was sick, and this loving dad, faithful dad, comes to Jesus to ask him to heal her, and just as he's about to ask Jesus to intervene, along come the servants saying, Do not bother the master, for she is dead. The wailing and the weeping begin, and Jesus says, she is not dead, she's only asleep. And he goes, and he cures her, and she rises from the bed. And then we have the uh, recorded miracle of the woman who, in the midst of a crowd, and, and when I read this, you know what I picture? I picture New Orleans. I picture Mardi Gras, and I picture going there uh, about 1987 with Martha when we went to visit a friend teaching in one of the Lutheran schools there, and we got onto Bourbon Street, and I felt like a sardine, and the only way to get off was literally to follow the crowd and then finally push our way off into an alley. That was all I wanted. But it was so crowded where Jesus was, when he feels that power go out of him, when this woman touches his robe, the disciples say, Jesus, there's people everywhere. You can't help but be touched. <laughs> but he knew. He knew one of great faith had reached out to be healed. And she was. Great miracles. 
But it's actually relatively easy for us when we again read these, not only these that are here in this chapter, but elsewhere, and to say, you know, those are kind of nice, and just kind of pass on by them without really giving serious consideration not only to what they may be teaching us, but what they may be saying into our very lives as well. So we have these three miracles, but my friends, here they are doing more than just recording actions or activity of Jesus in his life and his ministry. These miracles do three things. One, they confirm that Jesus is Lord over all. Number two, they reveal that he is the very Son of God. And thirdly, they reveal the very heart of Christ. His passion and his love for you and for me and for all of his children. For you see, we are the objects of his love. Well, first, the miracles confirm that Jesus is Lord over all. And I find this quite wonderful and encouraging, that Jesus isn't just, you know, going about his activity and claiming to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's me, I'm the Son of God. He doesn't just leave it to his words, but he demonstrates it, he proves it over and over that he is indeed the Son of God. He demonstrates it. Whether in these miracles that are here in this chapter and this one in particular today that is read, or in others like when he calms the sea and the storm or when he feeds the 5,000, Jesus has dominion and power over it all. I find it interesting, too, that um, the religious leaders, they deny that he is the son of God. They have problems accepting who he is and what is being revealed in these miracles and in his words. But not the demons. <laughs> they accept it. Matter of fact, I think that's somewhat confirmed by the fact that notice the man who was possessed led by the demons, meets Jesus, goes to him. And those demons, they actually profess Jesus, confess him with this exalted title, Son of the Most High God. Hmm. He is who he is, Lord, Son of God. These miracles reveal that he not only says he is God, but his power proves who he is. Note again the demon. The demon further acknowledges Jesus' power over him, begging Jesus not to subject him to further torture, not to send him into the depths of darkness, the abyss. Because they know what lies ahead for them, even worse than what is their reality right now. This demon doesn't waste his time. 
He doesn't waste his time ridiculing Jesus. He doesn't waste his time saying, oh, you have no power over us. Get out of here. No. He begs Jesus not to submit him to further torture. You see, the demons confess who he is. And then with that, in the presence of Christ, he realizes that begging is the best he can do. That he has no hope in the face of the one who is the most high son of God. Now verse 29 reveals that the demon's demand of Jesus was actually a response to Jesus' attack on him since he was already commanding that demon to depart from the man and set him free. And Luke goes on to illustrate the sad consequences of this man being possessed. The demon made him a menace, a danger to the community, so much so that the people would shackle him and put him in chains, but even those he would break. And not only that, but then he, it isolated him and it put him off in far-off, lonely places. No way to live a life. The man's control of himself had been destroyed, along with all of his relationships. No one wanted to be around him. No one felt they could trust him. No one knew what they could expect of him. Everyone felt they were in danger around him. Yet in verse 30, Jesus makes a clear distinction between the man who is a victim and the evil force that has taken him over. And I would like to say this. This is a helpful and appropriate reminder to us to hate the sin and love the sinner. So often we want to just, you know, cast off the person in the midst of the sin, but God never does that. God condemns the sin. God condemns what has been done, but God still loves the sinner. I think, my friends, we need to separate the two then, the sin and the sinner, just as God does. In short, as I ponder today's worship, these readings, huh? and for that matter, even our confession of sin, I have to say that our worship as a whole today is about chains and shackles. In our confession, in a very real sense, what we are praying for, what we are seeking is to be released from the bondage, from the chains and shackles of our sins and to be set free from those and our evil desires. And in our reading from Galatians, Paul tells us how we were once slaves. Chains are everywhere. Chains bind us in so many ways, and maybe because we are so used to them, we somehow become comfortable with them or no longer quite realize we are under 
their control. Yet in this gospel, Jesus sets free this man who was shackled on the inside by demons and on the outside by literal chains. I pray you marvel at this. But more importantly, I want you to remember how Jesus sets his people free. Jesus commanded the demons. They recognized him. They submitted to him. And when they begged Jesus, willing to set the man free, he permitted them to enter, enter that herd of pigs. Now, I want you to note something here. I want you to note not only the reality and the existence of such evil, but how with the pig suicide, this shows how the evil one seeks to destroy anything that is of God. I pause momentarily because I want that to sink in. I think in our American culture and in our lives that are so good, we have become immune to recognizing the presence, the reality, of the evil one and his demons. When you see the hurt, when you face, you know, even sickness and death, I hope the scales in your eyes will fall off and you see who's really behind it. He is real, but he is not all-powerful. So now back to the third thing that the miracles of Jesus reveal, Christ's passion and his love for you, me, and for all of his children. I sat with someone very recently who said, I think there are those that God will never forgive. Well, I'm glad it's not bound to, or he is not bound to what we think. Because sin is sin. Sin is anything living outside of the confines, the boundaries of God's will and his law. And, and therefore, any sin separates us from God. Praise God that his blood of his Son covers all sin. But indeed, Satan is real. So on to this part of uh, how much he loves us. Yes, the name of Jesus, it has power over sickness, over evil, over Satan. Yet we most wonderfully celebrate that Jesus now gives himself to us as our liberator, John 12, 31 says this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus says this to his followers as he is preparing them for his impending death because his death in our place shows what he did to the evil one. And then in verse 32 of John, Jesus reveals how he wants to be our Savior, saying this, And... 
I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Thank you, Jesus. And no matter where I've been, what I've thought, what I've done, you draw us to yourself out of love. My dear friends, hear and believe. Jesus is able to set us free from things the evil one uses to enslave us, to bind us. He is able to set us free from persistent sins and addictions, despair, selfishness, hopelessness, viewing trouble as punishment, or that we are somehow unforgivable. Yes, praise God, for He sets us free. And now, one final thing about the miracles of Jesus. Notice how this man, or what this man did after he was healed and set free from his demons. I find it wonderful. He would not let go of Jesus. <laughs> he clung to him. He held on to him. He wanted to stay by his side. Now, I find that surprising because you and I too easily carry the guilt and the burden and the shame of our sins, even the ones that have been forgiven. And we're like, oh, no, 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 Lord, I, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Oh, Lord, no, I'm not worthy to serve you or, or to you know, tell others about you. That's not reality. Because this man came to him and somehow he felt that he needed to do something extraordinary because God had done something incredible for him. He felt maybe he needed to leave his home, that he needed to leave his family, that he needed to leave his friends, that he needed to go and literally live with Jesus because love had changed everything. Love changed this man. But listen to what Jesus said to him. Jesus would not let him go. But instead, he told him these words, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. No special assignment, no heading off to the seminary, no selling off all your possessions and going off to some foreign land and be a missionary. No. Instead, Jesus instructed him to be his servant, his witness, right where he was. To stay there telling relatives, friends, and neighbors how Jesus set him free, how love had changed Everything. Right there. Right there. Friends, our liberator, Jesus, says the same to you 
and to me. Tell what God has done for you. He simply calls us to speak in simple words from our hearts what the Word says and what God has freely done for us personally. For you see, we are free from that which binds us. We are free to simply testify of what we know from God's Word and in our lives, trusting He will use it to set others free. Amen.